Welcome to season two of Accountancy on Prescription. This week, Jenny Stone is joined by Sandra Jeevan from WMT. They discuss what is inheritance tax, the importance of having a will, and the planning that can be done to mitigate inheritance tax. If you're interested in inheritance tax planning, you can contact Sandra directly. Please kindly see the show notes for her details. Accountancy on Prescription by RBP, one of the leading firms of medical specialist accountants. We know what you find tough, but don't you worry, as we know our stuff. Welcome to this week's episode of Accountancy on Prescription. I'm Jenny Stone, one of the partners at RBP, and I'm delighted today to be joined by Sandra Jeevan, who is a private client director at WMT. Hi, Sandra. How are you? I'm good, Jenny. How are you today? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Excited about this episode because it's a a subject that we haven't ever covered before. So today we're going to be talking about inheritance tax. Sandra, before we get into the episode, do you want to have a quick chat? Just give us a brief introduction about yourself. Yeah, pleasure. So I'm Sandra Juven. I'm currently a tax director at WMT. I've been with PricewaterhouseCoopers for the last 17 years. I've always dealt with private clients, high net worth individuals, and offer a lot of planning and advice around wealth and estate, as well as your normal private client issues. So you're in good hands. Brilliant. No, and I certainly know with some of the clients that you've helped, they've been really delighted with with the work that you've done. So today we're going to talk about inheritance tax. And and there's a saying, isn't there, Sandra? There's there's two guarantees in life, death and taxes. And nobody ever wants to think about death, but inheritance tax planning is something that I think everybody needs to think about. I've got a friend, Sandra, who's recently lost an uncle and he was quite a wealthy individual and she was saying to me that her cousins are fuming because he did no inheritance tax planning and of course there's a massive inheritance tax bill and I'm sure you'll say this is such a common thing that you see. Do you want to just start by just maybe explaining what inheritance tax is? Yes, yes. So I do sympathise with your friend. 40% is a lot of tax to pay when you think about it. But yes, like you said, I'll just give you a brief explanation on what inheritance tax is. Inheritance tax is a tax on what we would call your estate. And your estate basically consists of property, money, possessions. You know, you would combine all of that together and that would form part of your estate. So when you die, normally, if you have a will in place and the executor or the person you have sort of trusted to make sure that your intentions are carried out will then look at what the value of your estate is and then, you know, it'll be calculated, it'll be valued for probate reasons and then the lawyers or solicitors would decide what your tax bill would look like on death. Each individual essentially has 325000 tax-free and also in addition to that, you would get 175,000 of residential nil rate ban. But the residential nil rate ban has caveats. So it only applies in situations 
where your estate is under 2 million. If it's over 2 million, then this residential mill rate ban would be tapered. And then it's completely lost at 2.35 million. So it's a big savings, this residential mill rate ban, because it essentially, you know, could save quite a bit of tax in your estate. So planning is definitely key and necessary. And also, I mean, just leading on to that, whilst I've been talking about an individual, normally when you look at a situation where you have husband and wife, there is something called a spousal exemption. So normally on first death, I mean, I'm not going to kill husband or wife first. I mean, <laughs> it's very easy to kill off the husband most times. But yes, we'll say on first death, normally if it's willed in the correct way, all your assets will pass to spouse. There's no inheritance tax due. However, we just need to think about the value of the estate for the spouse, for the surviving spouse, because if, you know, 50% passes over on first death, that is just, you know, delaying the inheritance tax. Yes. And therefore, you need to think about, right, I need to be a little bit clever here and maybe ring fence some of that so that, you know, my wife is not left with such a large estate. And also with passing to spouse, essentially, if you do not utilize your nil rate ban on yes. death, that nil rate ban is passed on to wife as well. And again, the residential nil rate ban can also be passed on. I mean, the provisors here is the residential nil rate ban can be tapped into if it was left to lineal descendants. Right. So your children, could be your grandchildren, but it's got to be lineal descendants. If, you know, at all, for some weird reason, you have put it into a trust or willed it that on death it goes into a trust, this not do well to utilize the residential no rate ban, even though the beneficiaries of the trust are your lineal descendants. Yes. And I think what's interesting, so Sandra, I had a quick look back because the nil rate band is 325,000 for an individual. And I looked back to see when was the last time it changed. So it hasn't changed since 2009. Prior to that, it was going up obviously each year. And I remember, I mean, you know, when I was studying and obviously that was a long time ago, you know, inheritance tax used to be kind of, you know, the rich person's tax. But when you think about house prices now, it's really so many more people people need to think about inheritance tax. Just out of interest, just because I kind of was like, I, I, I was interested to see when it had last changed. And then I kind of put into, I asked Mr. Google, like the, the, the change in house prices. So I think when I looked at this on Google, it said that the average house prices back in 2009 in London were about 340,000. So not well, that much above your nil rate band. But of course, now it says average house prices in London is 900,000. So you can see that this is why more and more people actually have have to think about inheritance tax. Absolutely. And, you know, like you said, 2009 was the last time it changed and it's now frozen until 2028. Yes. However, I don't know if we are going to be in for a surprise with the budget coming up on the 6th of March. Everyone was anticipating some sort of change at the spring budget, but nothing happened yes. and there was really no mention of inheritance tax. We may hear a reform coming into place. There's a lot of talk about simplifying, but we don't know 
where the land lies and which direction this would yes. go. For now, I think planning is just key and essential. Absolutely. Can I just ask you, who actually pays the inheritance tax? So when it gets calculated on the estate, who's actually liable to pay it? So I talked about the executor, so the person that you've actually appointed in your will to say, right, I trust you enough to make sure that you look after. And normally, you know, you would name your wife, your kids as executors of your estate. And they are in charge of the administration to organize the payment so that so so yeah it's the executor of the estate yes and so you know nobody likes having to pay any more tax than they need to you know how can inheritance tax be mitigated yes so how can it be mitigated this is this is an interesting one but the most basic one is say making a will you've got to make a will you've got to ensure that you've thought this through Take some time, take a step back, think about what you own, think about what you would like to ring fence for yourself for your lifetime and for your spouse. And then think about what you're comfortable with passing. You could could make gifts, you could do planning with maybe a trust. If you're not quite sure you're ready enough to pass assets to your children, or if you're worried that if you pass these assets to your children, you're worried about a divorce looming in the... These things need time and consideration. But certainly, we need to take time to think about where we are, what we would like to ring fence, what planning, lifetime planning can I do, and what planning can I do on death as well. These are some of the small steps that you can take in the first instance. Yes. And I think having a will, something so basic, it's amazing, isn't it? How many people actually still don't even just haven't done a will. So even as a starting point, I remember when I first saw a financial advisor when I was about 30 and the first thing they said to me was, have you got a will? And I'm like, a will? I'm young. What do I need a will for? You know, but but it actually, you need it, you know, really, I suppose as soon as you've got assets and property and, 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 a, bit, and a bit of, you need to start thinking about it. I have a really horrible story with that one. A banker in his heydays, loads of bonus, you know, raking in the money. The house is heavily geared because you're 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 relying on the bonuses to pay it off. Yes. Of course, young, young children, no will, terrible accident. Oh, terrible. Gosh. Wrong place, wrong time. Yes. Just and I remember dealing with that estate and it was it was painful. It's painful yes. for everyone because there was no planning anywhere. So yes, so that is that could be the reality if you don't take steps. Yes. And so what happens if you die and you don't have a will and you know what what sort of normally happens? So no matter what your wishes may be, if you die without a will, then you are deemed to have died intestate. And the distribution of your estate will be according to set rules. So a set amount will go to your surviving spouse up to 322000 And then the remainder up to your nil rate band, which is not very much, will go to your kids tax-free. Then we'll look at the estate on a whole after that. 
and that will be distributed in a very set order. So I think your surviving spouse will only get half of the remaining estate after, and then they'll also need to factor into account children, parents, siblings as well sometimes. So it may not be the way or how you would like to leave your estate. And really there's no control. There is nothing anyone can do over here. So it's quite a shame, actually. Yes, yes. So the key thing here, I think if anybody's listening, you know, even if you're young, you know, we don't know when we're going to die. So I think the key thing here is certainly a starting point is at least to get a will drawn up. So Sandra, can I ask you, apart from getting a will drawn up, what else can people do to try and plan ahead for this inheritance tax? So there is a range of allowances that people can tap into on a year to year basis. You know, the most simple one will be the 3000 free annual exemption and you get a carry forward from prior year as well. So typically between husband and wife, you can each give 6000 completely free of inheritance tax. Then you have various other exemptions like gifts that you can give on, say, when your children get married. Why I talk about these gifts in isolation is sometimes when you you can make gifts, you can make gifts during your lifetime, but then there is a provisor here that you would have to survive seven years before that gift falls completely. And these gifts are known as potentially exempt transfers. So let's say I make a a large gift. I want to gift 200,000 to my child to help him or her purchase a house. Then that gift won't be chargeable to inheritance tax, but it potentially could be chargeable if I die within seven years. And of course, there's a taper that's applied. But it's very important to document these things because every time an individual dies, basically, one of the big questions is, did they give a gift in the prior seven years? Because that amount will eat into your nil rate band. Yes. The other gifts that you can do is gifts out of surplus income, say. So when we're talking here, surplus income, what surplus income? So we just look at your income stream year on year. How much are you earning from your you know, your your practice, how much are you earning from dividends or various different things. And then we think about how much do you need from this income to survive your lifestyle, you know, to, to, to carry on. And anything surplus is then deemed as surplus income, which can be gifted free of inheritance tax. Yes. Now, of course, if you want to go down this route, you really need to have something in place that's tracking it so that yes. it can be challenged. You know, the burden of proof yes. lies. Yes. Challenge. So you know, we can certainly help you with formulating or help you look at what the surplus income looks like. Yeah. And I think I've got a client that does a regular monthly payment to the grandchildren because it's coming out. They're still working. They're still earning. So they kind of have it as it comes out of their surplus income. Yes. So the the key thing to remember here is it should not eat into the capital. So you're not going into your savings to pick stuff out. And so, you know, again, record keeping is key for these things. Yes. But it's a great one to do because you're slowly gifting. And again, you know, if you're gifting your grandchildren, you can just feed that into the junior ISA. So they can't have access to it until, you know, 18. So it's like a win-win. You're, you know, you're, you're slowly 
passing money off and then they can access it. So you don't have to worry that they've yes. got access. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a good one to think about. And Sandra, I often get asked by some clients, they they will say to me, can I give my house to my children to avoid inheritance tax? That's kind of like a popular one that comes out. Now, I don't deal with a lot of inheritance tax, but I know you can't do this completely. Do you want to elaborate on that and explain how your home works for inheritance tax? Yes. So gifting, gifting has to be unconditional. So when you're gifting something, you can't really hold some benefit or, you know, a right to some benefit. It's got to be unconditional. So that's the key principle that's being applied here. And you would find that couples or maybe, you know, not couples, you know, maybe husband has passed on, wives alone in the house and the house has a high value. And of course, if we think about inheritance tax, it's not enough to mitigate the taxes on her death. And she may think, you know what, I don't really need this house anymore. I'm just going to gift it to my sons or daughters or, you know, I'll give 50-50 each. And yeah, she continues to stay in the house. Now, this is not a gift that's unconditional because she retains some benefit. She's living in the house. Yeah. So this is called gift with reservation of benefit, short form grob. And what it essentially means is you have made a gift today, year 2023. That gift is considered a potentially exempt transfer. Now, say you survive seven years and then you die after seven years because by virtue of the fact that you have actually lived in the property, that gift is cancelled and the house will come back into your estate on the date of death and then it's considered again as part of your death estate. I have seen situations, and I don't know if you have, Jenny, where you know some weird planning has been done way back and it's not coming now. And I think it was pushed by solicitors at that time where they've asked the individuals to each gift their 50% share of the property into a trust, but right. then they continue living in there. And this creates a lot of problems. So you know, think about any planning that you may have done and try and understand why, because some people can be so forceful in saying this planning would work, but in reality, it may not. Yeah. And I think you have to be so careful. We see people that get into problems where they've been told something and like you say, rules change as well. So if somebody wanted to gift their home, but they wanted to avoid it being included for inheritance tax, what do they need to do? How can they avoid that? So one way of doing it is you might find that, you know, the individual has the main home and then the individual also has, you know, cash or, you know, money's equivalent. So the other way, if you think about, right, what is my estate? What do I need to survive over the next 10 years? Okay, I need X amount. Again, this is my surplus cash. I really want to give this property. The other way to do it is actually pay market rent. Yes. About paying market rent, the impact is twofold. One, you're eating into your surplus cash that you have there. So you need to be comfortable and confident that you have enough for your maintenance as well. And, you know, God forbid, should you need it for care home or anything like that, then the recipient, your children, will have to pay income tax on the rent. So you need to think about that element. 
The other way of doing it is it has to be the actuality of the situation. So you can't just make this one up. Well, you say, I give 50% to my daughter, but really my daughter is using the home. So I retain 50% and she has 50%, but the reality is she's using the home. She may have another home. That's fine. So long as she has access to this home, she can come and go when she likes. She's got her stuff in there. She doesn't have to be there permanently. But if all the facts around it supports it, and it doesn't matter if they have a second home, that could work as well. Yes. So I had a client yesterday that I saw and he was saying to me, oh, I've become a granddad. And he was saying, oh, yeah, my son actually lives with me. So there, his family, his son's family live in their family home. So in that sense, you could kind of say, right, you know, they live in London, he'll have a bigger state. You could say, right, okay, I'll give half. And yes. then then it would be out of the estate because his son's actually living in the home with his family as well. So the things to think about is you're making a gift on day one, you're gifting half. You need to think about capital gains tax. But again, this is your main residence. So you don't have an exposure. It's PPR, principal private residence. Yes. So no tax due on the date of gift over and then, you know, stamp duty. And most times in this case, you would not gift if there is a mortgage on the property. Yes, yes. Because you will create other issues like stamp duty. duty. Yes. So, yeah, quite simple. Yeah, but you're right in your situation that could work. And I think what I always stress to clients is, is, is getting advice is okay. Can I just ask, as we were talking about, you touched on property and capital gains tax. So we've got lots of our clients have got buy-to-lets, they've got rental. So they'll say to me, well, Jenny, I want to gift some of these properties to kind of get them out of my estate. So that whole seven-year rule applies. But then, of course, they do have to be aware that you're going to have capital gains tax to pay. Absolutely. You know, if it was their main residence at some point, Yes. Then part of it could be exempt just looking at the actual occupation over the period of ownership. Could still, you know, benefit from principal private residence relief. But it was a if it was a complete buy to let, then you need to factor that gain. Yes, yes. And I remember talking to somebody and they said, Well, actually, if you gift your buy to let, you pay the inheritance tax. So you, you've got the buy to lets coming out of the estate. And then, of course, you might have to be relying on savings to pay the capital gains tax. So it's also reducing the money that you've got in your bank account for inheritance tax as well. So, yes, because it's what we will call a dry tax charge. You're not selling it. You're not receiving any consideration for it. Yes. So there's nothing in your pocket, but you will have to fork out the capital gains tax. Yes, yes. Can I also ask you, Sandra, just why we're on the subject of property? Because again, lots of our clients being GPs, some of them will own their business premises. So they'll own their surgeries. If they die while still, say, being a partner running their business, what happens to their business premises for inheritance tax? So if a partner dies, then of course, yeah, like you said, inheritance tax needs to be considered, right? So the value of the partner's interest in the practice, basically, will form part of the estate. And you will get business property relief. So business property relief, because it's their interest in the practice, whatever that's valued on the date of death. And business property relief will get to reduce your value of the estate, when you calculate the taxes. However, it will not reduce the value of your estate for residential nil rate band purposes. Right. 
So that's key to so remember. That, that could be quite key in, in establishing whether you're going to get the 175,000. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay. So that's quite key. But the other key thing here, and this is important for most people to maybe go, oh, I wonder if that is in the partnership agreement because, you know, you have a partnership agreement. So business property relief is not available if a binding contract for sale exists at the time of death. Right. Okay. And what HMRC views as a binding contract is a clause commonly found in partnership agreements that states that the continuing partners will purchase the interest of the retiring partners. This trap can be avoided with a partnership deed that gives the partner an option to purchase and also gives the executors the option to sell. Okay, that's a really interesting point because I know in general practice, some practices have struggled when new partners have come in that they're actually interested in buying in the building. So some partnership agreements I've seen have a clause in there that says that when a partner retires or partner's coming in, they have to sell. Others don't. So others give that as an option. So that's really interesting that you put that in there for maybe one reason, but not realising the impact it has for inheritance tax as well. Yeah. Taxes are so complicated, aren't they, Sandra? (laughs) (laughs) You know, you have time. It's worth, you know, looking, dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's and making sure your ducks are in a row. And sometimes you get these ideas, but you don't get to implement it. So really having a conversation, thinking about the whole picture is often key. So yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Can I ask you pensions and whether they're included in a stay? And I don't know whether, because our clients, obviously most of them are doctors, so they've got the NHS pension, but some of them also have private pensions. And certainly with the annual allowance going up to 60,000, I've had clients going, okay, I actually now also want to pay into a private pension because I've got allowance too. So do you want to touch on and just cover about pensions and how that impacts on their estate? Yeah. So normally pensions are not part of the estate. They're normally outside the estate. And it's the trustees of the pension would then decide then what goes where or to whom. So normally you have something called a nomination, a pension nomination. And you would need to make sure that this is up to date because then you can expressly state your wishes and how you want this pension passed down. The thing about pensions is sometimes because this sits completely out of the estate, it's a good planning point for skipping generations. So if there is a lot in your other bit of the estate and you've done the math, you've done the planning, the BPR goes to somebody else and then the remainder goes to your spouse, then do you really want to increase the value of your spouse with that pension pot? In certain cases, they may need that for continuity. But in other cases, there's room for thought here whereby I'll skip a generation and I'll pass it down to my grandchildren. So that's quite clever. So we're thinking about that as well. Yes. And what I would just say for obviously most of you listening with the NHS pension scheme, obviously the NHS pension scheme is slightly different to a private pension in that the NHS pension gives you a lifetime pension income. So you don't have a pot of money like you do with a private pension. So what happens, Sandra, for sort of members of the NHS 
Women's Pension Scheme is they get a guaranteed annual pension every year for the whole of their life that goes up by inflation. If they die, yeah, they're very lucky. They don't have a pot that goes up or down. Is this in addition to the state pension? Yes, yes, yes. So if you've got somebody who takes their pension, let's say they take the pension at 60 and they live till, say, 98, they get an annual pension that goes up by inflation every single year. But then what happens is when they die, again, you don't have a pot of money that you can pass, but their spouse gets half of their pension entitlement. Yeah. So it's great if you're going to live a long time. But I had a client who I think ended up taking their pension at 60 and unfortunately died two years later. So they've been paying into this NHS pension for the whole of their life. And then they they had it for two years and their spouse did get half and she's still receiving half, but they don't have a pot of money as such to pass on. And that's why I've got some clients that have chosen, no matter how good the NHS pension scheme is, they've chosen to come out of it and put into private pensions and property because they're kind of saying, well, I can leave that money to my family. So yes. The way I want it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so slightly different. Can I just ask you, Sandra, for clients, their children pay the inheritance tax bill out of the money they inherit. Who actually sort of, you know, pays this bill? Yeah, where does the money come from? Right. So this one's an interesting one because most times people get confused with the concept, oh, I've inherited something. Do I need to pay something? Because I'm getting all this free money. It doesn't seem right. But no, it is right. In some countries, that would apply that the person inheriting would pay the taxes. But in the UK, that doesn't apply. The tax is actually paid before your beneficiaries can get their grubby little hands on the estate. (laughs) So really, all the taxes need to be settled after probate is done. All the forms need to go in. The tax is paid. Then sometimes assets need to be sold from the estate to pay these taxes yes, yes. if there's not enough cash. So that's something else that the executors would be thinking about as well. And whatever the beneficiaries receive is all after tax. I had a client that called me yesterday and he said, oh, Jenny, can I just ask you a question about inheritance tax? And I'm always like, oh gosh, I'm not great on inheritance tax. But he said, I'm going to be inheriting £400,000. How much tax do I need to pay on it? Because of course, in his head, he's like, well, it's 40% inheritance tax. I said, well, no, you, you've inherited it. That's it. And he said, well, what? I don't have to pay any tax on it. It was kind of like... He wasn't expected that he was basically going to get 400000 and not have to pay any tax. And I was like, no, 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 that will have already been dealt with before yes. you received it. But just yeah. remember that that 400000 is part of your estate now. So yes. you will have to pay inheritance yes. tax <laughs> when you die on that, if it's in us. So, if it's yeah. still in your estate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's left one estate suffering 40% and then it's in your estate now. Yes. And this is why people say it's so unfair because you've earned all this income and you've paid all your tax on this income to build up your estate and then you die. And then there's another 40%, which is why planning is so key. And Sandra, can I ask you another thing? So clients will have life policies. So what happens to life policies that you have currently still in place when you die? Yes, the life policies. A lot of people take out life policies in anticipation of a huge tax bill as well. So some planning can be done. I mean, the life policies out there, 
I've seen several and, you know, sometimes it's quite unfair what you have to pay into it to secure something and it never ends. You keep paying for it until the date of death and hopefully not before the date stipulated in the life policy. But yes, if you do have a life policy, it could be payable to the estate to settle the taxes due or written in trust or it could also be paid to named beneficiaries. Right. So, yeah, so they slightly follow a different route and you should actually review what policies you have and understanding what implications. That's quite key because you may have taken this out, you know, a while ago. And whilst it sounded like a very good idea at that time, a help check is important just to know. Yeah. Yes. And just to review things, I think this is the thing, isn't it? It's we kind of put things in place, but we need to constantly review it. I know my financial advisor says to me, you know, Jenny, you've got to constantly think about reviewing your will and and things like that because things do change. Can I ask you, so sometimes I get asked, what happens if, you know, when you die, you want to actually leave some money to charity? How does that work in terms of your estate? Yes. So this is a good one. I mean, if you've got, you know, quite a lot of money in there and there's enough for everyone, if you leave at least 10% of your estate to charity, to a registered charity, then you may reduce your inheritance tax bill. I mean, it's not a huge amount, but from 40% to 36%. Yes. So, you know, if there is a charity that you've been supporting and you feel a strong need to provide for this charity, then certainly something you can think about as well. But of course, it's got to be in your will. It's got to be documented for your executor to then go execute. So, yeah. I think it's all it's all you know one impacting the other but the starting point I would say for anyone is you know take a step back even if it's the back of the envelope just you know jot it down what you have what's it looking like and then just take 325,000 off it and then times it by 40% and then you look at that tax bill that that should that should make you want to do something i, I think it absolutely will cuz let's face it none of us want to pay tax if we have to so and i think what is really key is that actually and i think that's a great way for everybody who's listening to go right what are my assets take off my nil rate band 40% and that number is enough to go actually i think i'm prepared to pay <laughs> Yeah. A tiny amount in comparison for some inheritance tax planning. Sandra, you've been brilliant and it is a complicated area. And what I would say, I know WMT have helped certainly some of my clients and they've given some really positive feedback. So I think if you're listening to this thinking, actually, I've done the, as Sandra suggested, the back of the envelope and that inheritance tax number is very scary and you want advice. <laughs> then Sandra is available to help with inheritance tax planning. And Sandra, if it's okay with you, can I put your contact details into our show notes so people know um, where to contact you? And obviously clients of ours, you can obviously contact your normal partner and we can easily put you in touch with Sandra and her colleagues. Sandra, thank you so much. That's been really good, really good. It's been really lovely to have you on the podcast. So for all of you that are listening, if you've enjoyed this week's podcast, please share it with your colleagues, like and subscribe. See you soon. Bye, Sandra. Bye. You have been listening to RBP's Accountancy on Prescription podcast. 
any updates, please visit www.rbp.co.uk or follow us on Twitter at RBPCA. The contents of this podcast is for general guidance and informational purposes only and does not constitute any form of advice. The information provided by RBP is of a general nature. Appropriate and tailored advice or independent research should be obtained before making any decisions. RBP does not accept any liability for any loss or damage which is incurred from you acting or not acting as a result of listening to accountancy on prescription.